welcome to the Lessons for Living television program. My name is Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. One of the questions that is becoming more a matter of concern is this one. Who can I trust? We live in a strange world. Do you know that you can now buy trust in a bottle? Well, apparently a New York City lab claims to have put trust in a bottle. According to their ads, after showering in the morning, simply spray a squirt or two of this odorless liquid trust onto your skin, and then the people you meet during the next few hours will trust you without knowing why they trust you. Well, what is in liquid trust? Well, allegedly, it is this hormone called oxytocin that the makers claim that this hormone is the actual scientifically proven elixir of trust that is naturally occurring in humans. It is a hormone, they say, that plays a significant role in childbirth, breastfeeding, and even in romantic love. Now, how do we know they're telling us the truth? Well, that's a good question. And since it retails for something like $30 for a small bottle, maybe just a little bit of old-fashioned skepticism is in order. Now let's deal with the issue of trust for just a few moments. It's one of the most important issues with which all of us will have to deal with. It affects our life as people, it affects our life together as families, it affects our individual happiness. Surveys today indicate that trust for other people and trust for institutions is at an all-time low. A recent study said that only 53% of Canadians trust the core institutions of business, government, media, and non-governmental organizations, marking a 3% decline from just last year. This online survey found that Canadians were also more pessimistic about their economic prospects, with 35% of respondents believing that they and their families will be better off in five years down the road, down 2% from last year. Trust in technology has declined 8% in Canada. With the ability of government regulation, the pace of change, and the ability to know if what a person is seeing or reading is real, these were cited as the main worries of Canadians. Even our trust in NGOs declined by some 4%. Trust in the media declined 4%. Trust in business declined by 3%, as did trust in government. Even with the decline in trust in the four core institutions, the report found Canadian findings to be neutral, not high enough to be considered trust and not enough of a decrease to be marked as distrust. 70% of Canadian respondents believed that companies should stop advertising with any media platform that fails to prevent the spread of fake news and false information. Canadians listed the gig economy as the major reason they were worried about losing their job, followed by lack of training, 
lack of skills, fears of a looming recession, automation, immigration, foreign competition, and jobs being moved abroad. The report marked a loss of trust worldwide and found that there were two different trust realities in that the informed public trusted core institutions more than did the mass population. 56% of the respondents said that capitalism as it exists today does more harm than good in the world. 83% of respondents worried about losing their jobs. 61% said that the pace of technology is too fast and government does not understand emerging technologies enough to regulate them effectively. 57% said the media they use was contaminated with untrustworthy information. 73% of the respondents worried about false information or fake news being used as a weapon. The report noted that no institution was seen as both competent and ethical, with only business being seen as competent and only the NGOs as being seen as ethical. Ethics and ethical drivers were three times more important to company trust than competence. Now here's a shocker. Even scientists are suspect nowadays, as the controversy over handling the pandemic would seem to indicate. People nowadays, they don't trust their doctors, their bankers, or as I, much as I hate to admit it, even their clergy. You know, the rapid rise in divorce rates indicates that even within the family, trust is in short supply. As for trusting your employer, that seems to be a thing of the past. Employees, even of large and stable corporations, view themselves increasingly as independent contractors ready to move at a moment's notice to greener pastures. Why? Well, because they feel their employer would be equally eager to shed them if that would mean an improvement to the bottom line. Corporate loyalty is no more. Young people with huge education loans hanging over their heads are questioning whether our entire economic system can be trusted to give them the kind of future that their own parents have enjoyed. Trust in friendships, the economy, products, government, religion, and science have all declined. Now, friends, this is a big deal. You see, our world was designed to run on trust. Trust is essential to everything that we do. You know, we trust the other drivers on the road will stop when the light turns red. We trust the builders of bridges to get it right when they build a long span across a wide waterway. We trust the doctor to be accurate in her diagnosis and the hospital to provide the equipment and the sterile environment we all need to survive a disease. We have to trust the banks. We have to trust 
the government. And yes, we have to trust Bay Street to guard our funds for our declining years. We trust that when we stand at the altar, the person we are pledging ourselves to, that they too will fulfill their vows. Trust is a very big deal. When journalist Eric Weiner traveled the world to discover what made some countries happier places than others to live, he found one primary common denominator amongst the happiest societies. And he writes that the essential ingredient was trust. The happiest countries are those in which people feel they can trust their government, trust their social institutions, trust their neighbors. Trust is a very big deal indeed. You know, it's evident that one problem that the Apostle Paul had at the very beginning of his ministry was that many in the early church just simply did not trust him. Let's go to Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. Here's what it says. But I reveal to you, brothers, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, neither was I taught it, except by a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it and progressed in Judaism above many of my equals in my own heritage, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who set me apart since I was in my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the nations, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. They had heard only he who persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which he once destroyed. And they glorified God because of me. It seems from these verses that there were some there in the church in Galatia that had questions about Paul's credentials. They challenged his authority as a church leader and raised doubts about the authenticity of his calling. So in Galatians, we find Paul taking great pains to assert the validity of his apostleship. After all, 
he recognizes that his background and his past could potentially raise reasonable questions. The apostles chosen by Jesus before his crucifixion, well, they had the advantage of being people who actually walked and talked with Jesus. But Paul, on the other hand, well, he had come along and announced his apostleship well after Christ's death and after his own notorious past as a persecutor of Christians. It was little wonder if some believers wanted to know such things as, well, who is this man and where is he coming from and why should we trust him? So Paul confronts these questions head on. He writes, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So really, when you think about it, it's actually amazing that people in the early church ever trusted Paul at all. I mean, just think about it. Just imagine someone shows up at your church who was known for their religious hatred, known for their proclivity for violence, was even known to have participated in the murder of a dear friend one that was a highly respected member of your church. Would you trust them? Or would you say, I'll never trust them. You can't change human nature. It had to be difficult for those early Christians to accept Paul. Particularly, there had to be a lot of resentment in the part Paul played in the martyrdom of Stephen. So it took time for Paul to win people's trust. We might even get the idea that once Paul was converted, he was accepted, you know, immediately almost by the entire church. And he went off sailing, you know, merrily in his missionary journeys. That's not true. I mean, listen to his words. He said, but when it pleased God, who set me apart since I was in my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the nations, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. What did Paul do during his time in Arabia in those three years in Damascus? And why did he go there rather than going to Jerusalem? I mean, could it be that these were the only places that he was accepted? Maybe this is why his missionary journeys were so extensive. Perhaps he needed to find places where people would not hold his past against him. See, that happens in our churches today. 
mean, we have trouble accepting people who have done wrong, even when they're sincerely penitent. As someone has said, we are the only army that shoots its wounded. When Paul wrote these words to the church at Galatia, it may have been some 20 years after his conversion experience. And still, still there were people who did not trust him, even after 20 years of ministry. You know, there was an interesting study done on forgiveness. It was conducted by the Templeton Foundation in cooperation with the University of Michigan and the National Institute for Mental Health. According to this study, 75% of Americans are very confident that they have been forgiven by God for their past offenses. Surprisingly, this is true even of those who are not regular church attendees. They don't have much to do with God otherwise, but they have few doubts about God's pension to let bygones be bygones. The picture, however, was less bright when it came to interpersonal relations. The author of the study made that comment. He said, only about half of the people claimed that they had completely forgiven others. You see, God may have forgiven them, but ordinary folks struggle and find it difficult to forgive other people, particularly those who they are angry with. I mean, it's even difficult to forgive ourselves sometimes. But where forgiveness does take place, the study found a link between forgiveness and better health. The more prone a person is to grant forgiveness, the less likely he or she will suffer from any stress-related illnesses. You see, the New Testament church had that same problem many of us have. We accept the forgiveness that God is offering us, but it's difficult to apply that same forgiveness to others. And even if we do say that we forgive those who have hurt us or betrayed us, we vow that we will never trust them again. And so Paul understands this. He was extremely transparent about his past. He had done wrong in his prior life of persecuting that early church. And there was only one way he could ever win back their trust. And that was to live a Christ-like life from that moment forward. And that's exactly what he did. That's the only way any of us who have done wrong can really make things right. That is to make a new start with God's help. You know, Andrew Jackson was the seventh president of the United States. Some people regard him as a fine president. His face is on the $20 bill, if that is any indication. But he was also a very tough man. They called him Old Hickory. In some cases, he was considered ruthless. 
He was the president who ordered the infamous Trail of Tears for the Cherokee Indians. Jackson loved his wife, Rachel. They lived together at the Hermitage near Nashville, Tennessee. Rachel was a devout Christian. Jackson had a chapel built for her on the Hermitage grounds. Anyone who questioned Rachel's virtue, Jackson would challenge to a duel. Well, when Rachel died, part of Andrew Jackson died with her. They say that he would sit in that chapel for hours just to remember her. Well, one day a minister came to visit Andrew Jackson and said, and Jackson says to him, I would like to be baptized and I would like to become a Christian. The minister said, Mr. President, there is nothing that would please me more. But in order to be baptized, you will need to repent, to seek forgiveness for your sins, and to forgive those who have sinned against you. Are you willing to do that, Mr. President? Andrew Jackson replied, I can forgive my enemies in battle. I can forgive my enemies in politics. But I will never forgive those who slandered my wife. Well, old Hickory was not willing to bend. And that was the way they left it. Well, story says sometime later, there was a knock one night at the minister's door. It was late at night. It was raining. And there on the doorstep, soaked from the rain, was the former president of the United States. In a voice that was barely audible, Andrew Jackson said, I'm ready to forgive. The minister said, excuse me, Mr. President, I'm hard of hearing. What did you say? And old Hickory broke down in tears and said, I forgive them all. This is the only way that a person can ever be really trusted again. If they totally and completely repent of their sin and resolve that with the help of God, they will never make the same mistakes again. That's what Paul did. You know, I love the way this story ends. You know, Paul's letter to the church there in Galatia reads like this. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. But then he writes, and they praised God because of me. Paul's life was an open book. Once he had been Saul who had persecuted the church, and now he was Paul who preached the gospel. And everyone who got to know him, they could tell that he was not the same man that he had been. You see, that's how you rebuild the bonds of trust and forgiveness through repentance and becoming a new person 
in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy. We thank you for the forgiveness that you so graciously pour out to each one of us. Father, I pray that we, as followers of Jesus, will pass on that forgiveness that we have received from you unto those that have offended us. Father, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will make us a new creature. Thank you for loving us. Bless each and every viewer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've come to that time in our program where we have our special offer. After each and every program, we like to offer a special gift, a book, a resource, just something for you to add to your spiritual library. And today we have this wonderful book called The Passion of Love, He Did It For You. Uh, we'd love to send you this book as a gift from Lessons for Living Television. There's no obligation whatsoever on your part. You'll receive it uh, in the mail. And uh, if you'd like to receive a copy of The Passion of Love, pay close attention to the information we're about to provide you. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. That's Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G 0A3. If you live in Canada, this offer will be sent out to you free and postage paid. For viewers living outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. While on our website, you can leave a prayer request, and if impressed to do so, donate to help keep this ministry on the air. Thank you for your support. Well, we've come to the end of another Lessons for Living television program. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we want to thank you for what you do and letting your friends and family know about the program and uh, helping us increase our viewership. Just before we go, a couple of things I want to remind you of. You know, when you call for the offer, uh, sometimes we get more calls than we have volunteers. And you might get the answering service. Um, do us a favor. Uh, leave your address, your name and your address. That saves us a lot of time because we can take that information off of the message rather than having to call you back to get that information. So just leave your name, you know, enunciate properly and leave your address and that will make things way easier, much quicker for us to be able to get the books out to you. A couple of things, um, resources for you. Our website, l4ltv.com. All of the previous programs are on there. You can go on the website, find out where I may be appearing live or have a live streaming broadcast going on from someplace. So check that out. You can also make a donation online. Every penny you donate goes directly to keeping this ministry on the air. 
I want you to follow me on Instagram every morning at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. I put out a one-minute devotional video on Instagram at Santos underscore Bill. We're rapidly running out of time. Remember missionnowcanada.com as the website that has our humanitarian overseas work. God bless you. Thanks for being with us. We hope to see you here again next time. We'll see you then.